I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. You're killing me, Tuesday. <laughs> uh, yeah, but before we get to that, uh, we need to talk about uh, Fump Fest, our sponsor here. Fump Fest, uh, our friends at the funny music project, thefump.com, holding their annual funny music festival. Uh, this month in Chicago, August 20th, 21st, and 22nd. Uh, we have an ad for that, and we're going to play that right here. It's time for Chicago's annual funny music convention, Fump Fest. This year, we're celebrating Dr. Demento's 50th anniversary with special guest, radio legend Dr. Demento, appearing live and in person. Dr. Demento will be presenting his Festival of Dementia, signing autographs, and hosting the 11th annual Logan Whitehurst Memorial Awards for Excellence in Comedy Music. Fump Fest is taking place August 20th through 22nd at the Weston North Shore in Wheeling, Illinois, and will feature performances by Bill Larkin, Carla Albright, Steve Goody, Bad Beth and Beyond, The Gothsicles, Ross Child, The Great Luke Ski, Worm Quartet, Insane Ian, Nuclear Bubble Rat, Carrie Dalby, Ian Lockwood, and a special appearance by Sulu from The Dr. Demento Show, plus Demented Karaoke, Dumb Parody Ideas, The Fump Showcase, and more. Visit FumpFest.com to register and book your hotel room. That's F-U-M-P-F-E-S-T dot com. I'm going to be there. Kiki's going to be there, and it will be, I think, our first convention since February, March of 2020. Mar MarsCon of 2020 was the last time either of us went to an in-person convention. This year, most of our attendees will be vaccinated. We are vaccinated. Uh, we know most of the people attached to the event, and they are encouraging mask usage. They will have masks on hand for anyone uh, to use them. Uh, cleaning supplies, sanitation. Yeah. Um, the organizers have endeavored to make it a very safe event, and we both feel very comfortable going. Yeah, if you're going to be in the Chicago area, uh, we encourage it. It's going to be a very relaxed, uh, fun little time. That being said, back to the mouse. Yeah, the mouse is in trouble. Scarlett Johansson has sued Disney over breach of contract over the release of the Black Widow movie. Now, we, this is a movie. We, we've talked about it again. Black Widow was delayed for over a year due to the pandemic. It, it was released not only theatrically, but also on Disney+. Plus. This Release is in direct violation of the contract that Scarlett Johansson signed when filming the film. That it will be a guaranteed 90-day exclusive window to theaters. And then they can do whatever they wanted. That's usually how Marvel movies work. Now, from what I understand, uh, Scarlett Johansson tried to renegotiate the contract, uh, especially with the 
the pandemic. And uh, from what I understand, uh, Disney kind of ignored her. Uh, I actually had a bit of a conversation with an entertainment bookkeeper about this. Twitter is a magical place. Bizarrely, I was discussing this lawsuit with the screenwriter of Thor. Like I said, Twitter is a magical place. And uh, a uh, entertainment bookkeeper chimed into our discussion to clarify some things for me. I had mistakenly thought that her contention was over uh, what are called residuals. So, like, when you buy a DVD, typically the star of the movie would get, you know, a paycheck eventually for, you know, 10 cents or whatever of what you paid for the DVD. These are called residuals. And I thought that this was her complaint, that in her contract she was not getting the residuals of the streaming service. Which is a complaint that creatives have. Um, Actors have been fighting for fair residuals in streaming service for years now. And this originally put me on the side of Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson seemed to me to be the hero fighting for the little guy. This appears, in retrospect, not to be true. Apparently... The way it works for stars in these big movies, and especially in these Marvel movies, uh, going back all the way to Robert Downey Jr., when the movie is first made, they are paid a flat rate. It seems that the typical one for a big star fronting a tentpole movie like this, generally about $20 million, okay? So that would be your... Robert Downey Jr., your Chris Evans, you know, and now your Scarlett Johansson. $20 million just for making the movie. That's for showing up at the door. But when the movie comes out, there is a thing in your contract that you get a bonus for how much the movie makes in theater. And that is where she has a problem. That 90 days is where she makes her bonus and most of the money for making the movie. That 20 million is just to get her in the door. So what Scarlett Johansson is saying is by releasing it on Disney Plus, Disney has denied her the ability to make bank because they don't have to pay her a bonus for how much it made in Disney Plus. And since a lot of us, myself included, did not want to die in a pandemic just to see, uh, you know, Black Widow. Um, She was potentially denied that 90 days to rack up the bonus. All that to say, Scarlett Johansson has a point. Disney fired back with, and I will shorthand here, that her uh, lawsuit had, quote, no merit whatsoever and, quote, is sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, end quote. Basically, Scarlett Johansson is a money-grubbing so-and-so who doesn't care that we needed to protect people from going to germ-filled theaters just to see Black Widow. 
Disney parks are open right now, right? Disney parks are open right now, and yeah, up, right? In, uh, up until a couple of days before this recording, they did not require you to be wearing a mask. I'm going to use a line from a, a show that Disney recently acquired, Family Guy, and say, kids, kids, stop fighting. You're both awful. Because here's how Kiki sees it. Uh, Disney is, uh, as we have mentioned quite frequently, a soulless corporation who we do not stand that will take any excuse to keep from paying the money it owes. Agreed? Agreed. All right. Meanwhile, Scarlett Johansson is correct in the fact that Disney has breached the contract. Legally, I would say she does have a point. However, from a PR standpoint, if I had made $20 million for one job and I complained that I did not make more million dollars for that job, I hope I would be embarrassed enough to walk into the woods and never let another human being make eye contact with me ever again. I think this was a bad PR move on both parties' ends. Mm -hmm. Disney, pay what you owe. Um, Scarlett, get a better PR representative because this needed to be handled a little slicker. This this made you look bad before Disney's statement. Do this a little better, but also no heroes here, in my opinion. Uh, let's move on to uh, July 31st. I attended a Disney Plus event in Chicago. Uh, so in Chicago, we had, um, during that weekend, the Disney Plus The Stories Continue event. It's a four-city tour that they did uh, the previous weekend that they were in New York. Uh, the second stop was in Chicago. Two more stops are scheduled in uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles. So by the time this episode goes out, uh, at least one of those would have already happened. I arrived there. Uh, there was social distancing involved. There was masks. Uh, pretty much everyone was wearing a mask. I uh, was very happy for that. They were instituting a virtual queue system with uh, attendance being limited. Once there was a certain amount of people in that area, they stopped and then say, hey, you got to scan the QR code and we'll call you back when it's time for you to come into uh, the event. It kind of looked like something that you would see at a convention in like a dealer's room where there was like a little pop-up tent. They had a few... Um, a few props and costumes, uh, some props from Loki, the Mandalorian's helmet, Cruella's dress from the film, uh, some outfits from uh, the Mysterious Benedict Society, as well as High School Musical, the musical, the series, the musical, the series, the series, the musical. It's a very long title. Also, they were had a, a local artist doing a mural of Disney characters that uh, was said that uh, upon completion of this art project, it would get donated to the local Boys and Girls Club. Uh, I did not get to see the completed mural, but it looked like it was summer-themed. Uh, Moana, Stitch, and Luca were featured on it. Most of the event was trying to get people to sign up for the Disney Bundle, which is Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN. That if you signed up for the Disney Bundle at the event, you got, like, uh, an embroidered Mickey hat. 
know, the Mickey ears with your name on it. I did not do that because um, I have no interest in ESPN. That's the thing. I have Disney Plus. I have Hulu. I do not ever watch ESPN for any reason ever. But I want a Mickey hat. What do? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Like, I already give you money for the things I want. And I want a Mickey hat. Can I I just give you money for a Mickey hat? (laughs) I asked a person that was in the line. They think, I already have Hulu. I already have Disney Plus. Can I just get the hat? I said, no, you have to sign up for the bundle. Uh, I can live without a Mickey hat. Uh, There was also a line for existing uh, subscribers. If you are an existing Disney Plus subscriber, you can go into a line and spin a wheel and get a prize. I my prize was a Disney Plus bucket hat. Uh, it uh, I have a big head and the hat does not fit. I mean, is is it a nice hat? I have a birthday coming up. <laughs> it, it is a nice hat. It, <laughs> if, if, if 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 you can fit in it. <laughs> I also have a large head, so I don't know. <laughs> Think brain, about the brain. large-headed among us, Disney. I've uh, I've seen your pictures of the event, and it did look um quite interesting and very well managed. Mm-hmm. Um the the interesting thing about Disney is that they are incredibly good at logistics. I think Disney should just open a logistics school. <laughs> you should be able, I want to be able to just enroll at the Disney School of Logistics and then go work for the government or something. <laughs> like that would be I want Disney to just train the government in how to run the DMV. <laughs> Would that not be amazing? I want I want the DMV to just be like, here's your virtual queue. Come back when, you know, the wristband <laughs> blinks. I want a DMV fast pass. <laughs> Scan this QR code and we'll send you a text when it's your turn in line. Yeah, that'd be amazing. You know, if we're if we're gonna have corporations run everything, we should at least have them do it to our benefit. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. What was your What was your favorite thing you saw? Like of all the things they brought, what was the thing that you were like, "Oh, cool! I'm glad I saw that in person." Some of the Loki props, because they had uh, the time collar that Loki wore, the reset charge, the temp pad. It was kind of cool to see those those close up. I wish there were more props from the other shows. Like I would have liked maybe some of the WandaVision props or something. Like maybe something from the Mighty Ducks Game Changers or something. I wish there was more of it, but I understand that why it had to be small. So they can put it in whatever location that they can. Yeah, it does seem very limited in its variety. I I am quite surprised at the fact that there were only you know, four shows in a movie um, represented. Uh, what I did like is that, I mean, they had TVs around the area uh, showing advertisements for different shows on Disney Plus, like the new Turner and Hoop show and WandaVision and all of them. But what caught my eye that made me really happy is one of the ad- one of the commercials they showed on these TVs was for The Muppet Show. They made... One of the points of this thing to sell to tell people the Muppet Show is on Disney Plus. 
even that, if it's, that even makes if, me very happy. Yeah. Even if it's on a TV that people probably aren't looking at, they're trying to tell people the Muppet Show is on Disney Plus. You can watch it there. Sounds like a good good time. But we always have to talk about a specific movie, and this weekend, this week, we've got to talk about The Sandlot. Another 90s sports movie. That's, for a lot of people, their childhood. I would have been the age of these kids. Uh, this was supposed to be just after uh, Small's fifth grade year. And that would have been roughly the same for me uh, when this came out. Um, and it's set in... Uh, 1962, which, uh, given my father's age, would have been his age. He would have been Small's age. Mm. So this would have been me at that age watching a movie about my dad's generation at that age. So this, for me, was kind of perfect timing you know i would have watched it with my father at the time i would have gone to the theater with him to see this and he he would have you know i do have memories of him being like parts of this are very similar to the feel of of childhood in the general tone you know i'm gonna i'm gonna mention this a lot but i'm gonna mention it now This movie wants to be Stand By Me, but with a baseball instead of a dead body. Even, Mm. it's it's got the junkyard dog, it's got the group of friends, it's got the little nerdy kid, it's got the licensed music that plays throughout, it's got the older... Uh, you know, version of the guy telling the story. It's got the, and in the end, this kid went off and did that, and this kid went off and did that, and this, you know, it is beat for beat, stand by me, but with a baseball instead of a dead body. So it wouldn't be one of these kind of episodes if there wasn't a controversy. So in 98, the real Squints, the real Michael Paladorius, who actually knew the writer and director of this movie as a kid, sued him and Fox for defamation of character. If you know this movie and you know what Squints does in it, you might sympathize with the guy over it. So yeah, the, the court found in favor of 20th Century Fox and the director... So, putting it like that, imagine if someone you knew, Kiki, ended up making a movie or TV show, and there was a character with your name, and acted kind of sleazy. Well, I mean, we're going to get into it later, but they didn't act kind of, the kid doesn't act kind of sleazy, he sexually assaults a woman. And, yeah, the court is uh, 100% wrong, and I think if this same thing happened today, I'm... Not sure if the court rules the same way after Me Too. I think that if this suit were brought today, this is a major media case. I think uh, there are protesters outside the court made of women. 
I think that the director is highly scrutinized, but I think it I think it becomes a thing and I think it's a different case. It may have the same outcome. Uh, I think it plays differently. So let's talk about this director. David Mickey Evans, probably known, yes, for this movie, but he also wrote the movie Radio Flyer, which would star Tom Hanks, if you remember that one. I I know that I saw that film. Uh, it is one of those films that you're like, I, I know I saw that. And then people are like, oh, what is it about? And you go, I don't know. Uh, there's probably a, like a red wagon or something in it, given the name of the film. Yeah, but after he kind of falls off, he writes, like, other kid movies, like First Kid. Then he's kind of writing sequels, like Beethoven 3, National Lampoon's Barely Legal. He that did seems like a movie this guy would write. Doesn't it? He did come back and do the directed video of Sandlot 2, where he wrote and directed that. But he's also the writer of Mickey, Donald, and Goofy, The Three Musketeers. He wrote a Mickey Mouse movie, but of course, and of course, um, the lowest of the low, he wrote Ace Ventura Jr. Pet Detective. I don't know. I, I'm still, I'm still kind of caught up on National Lampoon's Barely Legal. So for the most part, he's known as writing kids movies, with the exception of National Lampoon. So yeah, that's about all we can say about the director. Most of the kids in this one are kind of like a lot of child actors we run across they do a few films as a kid and then that's kind of it the main kid that played smalls um thomas guiri i hope i'm pronouncing that right he was uh later in the uh nbc crime drama the black donnelly's but he also has parts in um, Black Hawk Down, The Revenant, uh, Mystic River. So he's continued uh, his career uh, as an adult, um, but nothing kind of as impactful, I suppose, to our generation as The Sandlot. Mm. Uh, the other major actor in this um mike vitar he was uh benny in benny the jet yeah benny the jet and he also uh played luis mendoza in the final uh two mighty ducks films but he decided as a lot of child actors do that he did not want to do acting as a career for his entire life so he retired from acting in 97 when he graduated from high school. He became an EMS and a firefighter. Mm. Uh, which, good for him. We need both of those things, especially in Los Angeles, which is where he lives. Mm. He um, is currently a firefighter with Los Angeles Fire Department, uh, last anybody knows. And uh, good for him. Hope you stay safe, man. We need more firefighters. We need more EMS. Mm. 
we have uh, three adult actors that we uh, have talked about before that are kind of big in here. As uh, Small's parents, uh, we have his uh, mom, played by Karen Allen, who we talked about when we talked about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. Um, and his stepfather, Bill, is played by Dennis Leary, who we last talked about when we talked about A Bug's Life, I believe. It's always weird seeing Dennis Leary in a kid's movie. He does not have a lot of lines in this film. He And he's gone for half of it. Yeah, he kind of pops in and, and pops out of this one. Um, And then right at the end of the movie, we get an cameo appearance by James Earl Jones. Mm-hmm. The legendary James Earl Jones. Yeah, so... uh. We get, there's not a lot of adults in this film in general. This is a very, the the kids are on their own kind of film. Let's kind of start with our main character, Smalls, here. So Smalls' story is that he, him, his mom, and his stepdad move to a new town. It's the beginning of summer. He has no friends. He has a shaky relationship at best with his stepfather. His stepfather is a baseball fanatic. He has an entire room filled with baseball memorabilia. Smalls just wants to connect to his stepdad. Hey, you, you, can you teach me how to play? Yeah, I'll teach you how to play. And then does it. I want to talk about how ridiculous and bad writing this relationship is. I'm sorry, I'm going to tip my hand now on this film. You don't need to wait till the final assessment. Boy, this this movie's writing kind of sucks. So you've got Bill, who really loves baseball, right? That's it's, apparently his thing. Yep, he's got an autographed Babe Ruth baseball. That's his pride, prized possession. But look at this trophy room. When you watch this movie, look at this trophy room. I have never had a single room covered with that much stuff from one fandom ever. This is a single-minded fan of one thing, okay? This guy loves baseball. And here he is. He's married to a woman who has a son, perfect baseball learning age, who wants to learn how to play baseball. You are the baseball fan. Do you, A, grab a glove, buy the kid a decent glove, because Small starts the movie with a plastic cheap glove that his grandma bought him years ago. You know, this kid asks you, hey, teach me how to play baseball. I don't know how to throw or catch a ball, and I am, what, 10, 11 years old? Mm -hmm. Okay? You, Mr. Giant Baseball fan, teach me how to play baseball. Your choices are, A, drop everything and do the thing you love with this kid who seems really into learning it, or B, no. It takes the mother coaching him, hey, maybe you can stop uh, obsessing over your collection or obsessing over your job to teach your stepson how to play catch. 
And that seems to be the only thing that gets him to actually interact with the boy. Which he does for about a minute and a half until the kid gets a black eye. And then he goes, yeah, I'm never I'm never throwing a ball with you again. Goodbye. And that is the last we see. But here's how much Smalls wants to learn how to play baseball. Five minutes later, we see him nursing a black eye on the porch with a broken glove. And Benny comes by and says, here's a glove. Do you want to come play baseball? And Smalls immediately goes, yeah, I still want to play baseball, even with a black eye. And a busted glove. And a busted glove. Okay, that's how much Smalls is into baseball. But Bill, the guy who lives in baseball room, can't take five minutes to teach the kid how to play baseball? This is a poorly written movie. And it's Benny that teaches Smalls everything about baseball. Because at the beginning of this movie... Smalls knows nothing about baseball. He knows there's a, there's a there's a ball and you hit it with a stick. That's all he knows. He doesn't know any of the players. He doesn't know any of the rules. But he wants to get involved in baseball because that's what all the kids in the neighborhood are into. And he needs to make friends. Yeah, the thing is, is that there are a couple of far fetches in this film. Mm-hmm. One is, how do you get a kid who does not want to learn how to play baseball to play baseball? Because there is no reason Smalls should want to learn baseball, except he wants a connection with his stepfather, the guy who is into baseball. Mm-hmm. And two, his mom is pushing him to make friends with the neighborhood kids who all play baseball. Mm-hmm. But Smalls seems like a kid who would just be happy if you left him alone and let him do his own hobbies that he seems perfectly fine doing. Yeah, he seems to be pretty good with that director set, as we see later in the movie. Yeah, Smalls is the kid, as we find out later, who, and we all know this guy. We all know this guy. There are certain people who are into sports because they are athletic and they want to play sports. And then there are certain people who are into sports because they like statistics. Guess which one Smalls is? We see him at the end of the movie. He's a sports analyst. He grows He's up the become... sports analyst. That's who Smalls is. Okay, he he doesn't actually, I don't think, care about baseball as an athletic sport. He likes math. And that's fine. I'm not knocking on people who are into sports because they like statistics and math. Perfectly fine way to be. You know, go go forth and conquer. You know, he only gets into baseball once he discovers statistics. You know? Mm-hmm. But I think left on his own, Smalls cares nothing about baseball. He doesn't even know who Babe Ruth is. Nor does he care to learn. Even once he tries to learn how to throw a ball, catch a ball, hit a ball, he doesn't actually study baseball. He's only going through the motions in order to be a friend. The other kids on the team, they're kind of going along because baseball is fun. It gets them out. 
lets them get into the sunshine. They probably are the kind of kids who like watching a game. Kenny is the other one who actually seems to care about the game. Yeah, for most of the kids, playing, they play baseball for fun. But for yeah. Benny and Kenny, baseball is life. Yeah, and Benny, he's who the movie is actually about. He's the best player on the team. He's the cool kid. I very much enjoy, in the, in this film, the Latino is the best baseball player. Thank you, Fox. <laughs> but he's more than that. Out of all the kids in the film, Benny is the only one with an actual plot line and dialogue who is not a douchebag. Yeah, most of the kids... Every other character that gets dialogue and plot in this film is awful the only thing that benny does during the movie that i can remember that is kind of douchey a little bit that i'm kind of like benny don't do that is in his little speech when they all want to go to the pool and he wants to stay and play baseball he gives that little like well, if y'all want to be, you know, panty waists that do a bunch of, like, weird sexist crap, raise your hand. And that's the only time Benny does anything in the movie where I'm like, Benny, dollar down a notch. The rest of the film, this kid is a freaking angel. He does not bully anybody. He does not really insult anybody. He is kind and give it he you know uh smalls needs a glove here's my spare glove smalls needs a better hat here's my spare hat smalls needs advice here's how to catch here's how to throw you need to come back tomorrow wearing jeans it'll make it easier to slide into base here's how to you know let's talk about our villain question mark the beast Puppy. Who's your good puppy? (laughs) The Beast, the junkyard dog who lives just over the wall of the sandlot who eats baseballs. So, yeah, here's this dog that is... that runs a junkyard and he eats raw meat and he's, he's the meanest dog ever and he eats up all of the robbers that come into the junkyard hole and it was 120, no, 175 thieves that he ate. They never found bodies. You know why. And my he, grandfather was a cop, and he said, you got to lock this dog forever. Yeah, I mean, and it's one of those things of, yeah, you know, you know kids who tell stories like that. You know how when you're a little kid, we we all had stories like that as little kids. So all of the kids are scared of the beast, and they never go into the junkyard to retrieve any of the balls that they hit in there. And they and only get... Can we, can we talk about the way the beast is filmed for 99% of this movie? Like it's a huge, giant dog. Even in the even in the story, they say that's... I gotta say, the puppet, the giant dog puppet that they use for the black and white scene is actually pretty good. Especially for 93. And that is the only effect that's really good. There's one shadow scene where Smalls is laying on the ground 
And he gets up and he walks away from the fence and you see the shadow and it's very much the T-Rex in Jurassic Park. (laughs) And I don't know if that was intentional because I'm not sure exactly when this was filmed and when this came out because this was 93 and Jurassic Park was also 93. Hmm. So I'm not sure if that if they had time to see it and put it in as an intentional reference, but it looks very much like when you see the shadow of the T-Rex. Um, but either way, it's quite effective. And I will give them that. The rest of the time, the giant puppet paw... The giant puppet snout that every other time they use parts of a puppet to make it look like a giant dog. It's bad. It's really bad. It looks like stuff I threw together in my backyard. I mean, it's it's bad. And uh, so, yeah, let's kind of move on to Wendy Peppercorn. We first meet Wendy when um, I believe it's Squints and Yeah Yeah are at a store and they see Wendy walk by and Squints has this huge crush on her in um, infatuated with Wendy. And it's told through the dialogue, through the uh, narration that he's had this crush on her for years. So we fast forward to the pool because it's too hot, 100 degrees out. So they go to the pool. And Wendy is the lifeguard at the pool. And these preteen boys are looking at her, oiling up, lusting after her, to the point where Squint says he can't take it anymore. He has to do something to get Wendy to notice him. So he goes off the high dive. Well, high dive, it's like a three-foot springboard but yeah three foot springboard <laughs> going but all they the way- say he doesn't actually know how to swim which is why they've been staying in the shallow end, the yeah. shallow end where you can just stand in the pool squints he dives off the high board into the deep end goes all the way to the bottom drowns to the point where wendy has to jump off bring him out of the pool She does mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on him. He springs back to life, kind of giving a little look to his friends. And just as she goes in to breathe life into him, holds her head close to his, forcing a kiss, which gets the kids banned for life from the pool. And what gets me is how they wrap up that. Is that, oh yeah, uh, Squints walked with his head held held high for for the rest of the summer after that. And every time from that point on we walked past the pool, Wendy looked at him and smiled. And at the end of the movie, we found out that they got married and have nine kids together. I, I got stuff to say about this, as you may imagine. Well, we're already at that part of the movie. Go for it. When I realized... You know, I always remembered that there was a movie in which the kid pretends to drown, kisses the lifeguard, and that 
I really hated that scene. I did not remember what movie it was in. So when we agreed to do this movie, I was like, you know, I remember watching that as a kid and being like, that was an okay movie, but I had not seen this movie since I was a child. And then when I was doing it for the rewatch, I was like, oh my God, this is the movie with that scene. And honestly, I did not remember anything that happened except he jumps in, he pretends to drown, and he kisses her. I didn't remember anything that happened immediately after that, much less later in the film. So he does the kiss, and everybody's shocked, and I was like, oh my god, I don't remember how the movie handles this. But I wasn't uh, hopeful because of all of the sexist crap that had happened prior in this film. Um, Because there had already been, like, a lot of, you know, like, you throw like a girl, you know, kind of already kind of low-level sexist stuff. And earlier in the scene... You mentioned that she's up on the guard tower oiling herself up. And he snaps. What you left out was that the the boys come to the pool and they talk about that they're going to the pool for the pool honeys. Um, which, you know, okay, if you're at a beach or whatever... I'm not saying you can't look at people. Just don't stare and make them uncomfortable. You know, everybody can peek a glance at somebody that they find attractive. Just don't let them catch you looking and keep your distance. You know, stay away from strangers and whatever. But the boys are standing in the shallow end and they're staring at this girl who is putting on suntan lotion. And they're saying, she knows what she's doing. Yeah, she knows what she's doing. She's got to know what she's doing. They're, they're blaming her. You know, the, the point is, she has come here to her job, might I add. This is her job. And that she is doing a thing, putting on suntan lotion to protect herself from skin cancer, specifically to taunt and harass underage children. Now, we're not exactly sure how old this girl is, but she's probably also a teenager. Possibly. Um... You know, so she's probably like 16, 17, maybe 18. I would say 18. But they're already angry at her. For being at her job. Basically putting on protective equipment. That's what it boils down to. That she is, what she is doing is already offensive to them. Okay. And that's what makes this kid snap, according to the writer of this movie. This is how the movie portrays it, okay? So the kid goes and he does his little stunt. He kisses her. 
And I got a little bit of hope back because her immediate reaction is that she pulls back. She grabs him. She screams, you little pervert. She physically, you know, throws him out of the the fence of the pole. The narration even says that he's lucky she didn't beat the crap out of him. Yeah, which, I mean, she's older than him. He is a child. You know, he's like 12. So I'm glad she didn't, you know, I'm glad she didn't hit him or whatever. That would have been wrong. Okay. He is a child. But she she calls him a little perv. She picks him up. She physically kind of carries him to the edge of the, the fence. She puts him outside and it says that the whole group was banned for life from the pool. Now, probably the other kids didn't deserve that because they didn't know. They thought he was dead. Um, so probably just banning that one kid was probably the appropriate punishment. Um, and I thought, okay, it's good. The writer acknowledges that what the kid did was wrong. He should have been banned. She was correct to call him a perv. Okay, at this point in the movie, everything that that is happening as a consequence, correct. And then he says, but he had kissed a girl and that was the, the right thing to do. And now he was a man and he stood taller and we all respected him. Wrong. Now, now you done effed up, okay? And then he makes it worse by saying, and Wendy sat on her lifeguard and every time he walked by the fence, she smiled at him and winked and she respected him too. So super wrong. Are you kidding me? Oh my God, what is wrong with this writer? And then Get they end up getting married. Therapy. Then they end up getting married. And then they end, this ends up being their meat cute for them to be happily married and have nine children, which it may be too many children unless some of them were adopted. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully they had enough money to give them all a good life. But yeah. So no. No, if you ever let your children see this movie, either skip this scene entirely or sit down and have a very long talk about how the writer of this movie is maybe not allowed around women, hopefully. I don't know. I do not know the writer of this movie, but if he walked into a room, I'm not sure I would feel comfortable in that room. <laughs> Hopefully he has learned a few things since 1993, is all I am saying. They kept letting him write kids' movies. Yeah, but now you understand why when I was like, oh, National Lampoon's barely legal? Yeah, that seems exactly up this man's alley, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I just, everything about this is not only wrong, but like, I... I really hope there are not a adult men who grew up watching this movie that think that this is the way you get a woman. 
or a way you treat a woman or that any part of this scene is acceptable. Because everything about this scene is horrifying. And the fact that this is a, a nostalgic kids movie for people is wrong on so many levels. Not only just because of this scene, but this scene is like, I, I don't know. This scene is like if it's suddenly they turned a corner in the middle of like a happy film and there was just like a slasher murder like right in the middle of it and then everybody went like and that was the happiest day of our lives moving on <laughs> i don't know this is really disturbing to me and wow no no don't don't let this guy write children's movies unless he proves that he's learned i don't know let's let's move on from that to Kind of what I think where the real movie begins. So Bill has to go out of town for business. So he's gone. Bill has, Bill has one of those jobs where he is like, hello, I am Bill and I do business. You know, it's like, we yeah. never learn what Bill does. He just does business. So, so, so he has to go out of town for business. And he's told Smalls that he, he's going to be the man of the house until he gets back, putting a lot of responsibility on him. So the kids go and play baseball as they do. All through the movie, Kenny talks about the heater, his big fastball. And uh, he throws it, Benny hits it, and tears the skin off the ball. So that's game because they don't have a ball. So they don't. None of, them, none of them have a ball. None of them have any money to buy a new ball. But Small says, "Well, I have a ball," and he ends up swiping Bill's Babe Ruth autographed baseball. Yeah, I want to point out once again how badly this film is written. You know what foreshadowing is? This movie doesn't. This movie has no idea what foreshadowing is because we know that uh, Bill has a uh, room full of baseball stuff, sort of. Mm -hmm. We do not know that Bill has like a special baseball. Really? Well, the, I mean, the, fir the first if, time we see Bill, he's putting down the Babe Ruth baseball in his little trophy room. We don't see it. We see that it's autographed. We don't see it by who. All we see is the letter B on it. Yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of reasons to have a trophy baseball, okay? It could have been um, the baseball from your first winning Little League game or, you know, any number of things. There's not a lot of reason to think why this ball is special other than it's just, it's in the trophy room, so we know it's special to Bill. But... The first time we really understand that Smalls has done something more than just annoy Bill, okay, is when he hits that home run. And for a split second, if you're watching the screen and you're good at reading and, you know, whatever, and it's easier to catch on the big screen. Mm -hmm. 
the ball does turn so that if you're paying attention, you do see the Babe Ruth fly by. Um, but there's not really a lot of setup of what a massive mistake Smalls is making. Until that moment, if you're really paying attention, or until the big, you know, unmissable reveal of when Smalls said it was signed by a lady, Ruth somebody. Yeah, so all throughout this movie, they've been hyping up Babe Ruth's nickname. The Sultan of Swat, the Great Bambino, and again... Smalls has no idea who they're talking about. He lies his way through it. Yeah, yeah, the great Bambi. Yeah, sure, that guy. And it's not until that moment where he says, yeah, uh, that was some girl autograph. Some girl signed it for him. Baby Ruth. And then the kids go, Babe Ruth? You let us play with a Babe Ruth signed baseball? Yeah, who's she? And they're all ready to kill this boy for not knowing who this entire movie hypes up as the greatest baseball player who ever lived. Even in this movie, even Smalls' mom knows who Babe Ruth is. Yeah. And that's the thing that kind of gets him in the heart the most. Like, even my mom, a girl, knows who Babe Ruth is. So Smalls knows that he screwed up royally because, one... The baseball didn't belong to him, belonged to his stepfather, and that it's signed by one of the greatest baseball players who ever lived. And Benny puts it correctly, that baseball is worth more than your entire life. If Bill were to have sold that baseball even in 1962, that would have paid for Smalls' entire college education. And, uh, I mean, college in 1962 wasn't that expensive. That would have paid for his college education, a second degree, a house, maybe a couple of cars. I mean, <laughs> in 1962, that baseball would have paid for Smalls' entire life. Yeah. <laughs> so they have to figure out a plan. Plan, the first part of the plan is to get a new baseball and forge Babe Ruth's signature. Now, it's not going to fool Smalls' stepdad, but it will fool the mom, the mom enough that it'll buy them some time. So, luckily for Smalls' dad, his uh, stepdad is out of town, and he, the ball, he, uh, Smalls positions the ball in such a way that the mom can't read the autograph on it. Which is so, good because it reads Babe Ruthie. They put an E at the end because <laughs> they can't spell it. So they start to try to figure out some sort of plan to retrieve the ball. First they said, well, let's just go to the owner of the junkyard and he'll get the ball for us. Problem solved. They decide not to do that because they believe that the owner of the junkyard is just going to feed them to the dog. The beast. So they go come up with several cartoonish plans. Some using uh, uh, a a pot tied to a, a piece of a rector set. One involving a vacuum cleaner. 
Three vacuum cleaners. Three vacuum cleaners. And it all blows up. One literally. Bungee jumping. Yeah, they invent bungee jumping. The kids invent bungee jumping, try to get the ball, and it doesn't work. Every single plan fails. This dog is a monster because this dog has bent steel into a pretzel. Yeah, they they eventually, uh, uh, Smalls creates like a tank out of a rector set in order to get it back. And it almost works until the dog destroys the erector set tank. Yeah, the, it's a montage of things that do not work. It's very cartoonish. It works for a kid's movie. So they decide to end it for the night, go home, try to think of a new plan for tomorrow. And it's Benny that gets a weird dream where he's visited by Babe Ruth. The way they have him enter the room, they have him all black and white. Kind of like that Babe Ruth movie. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. This is actually a pretty good effect. Um, I'm not going to lie. I kind of like the way it starts. It looks like old newsreel footage, and then it kind of resolves into a ghost effect, and then he's just kind of there in in full color, which is kind of cool. And he says, well, uh, what are you going to do about this this beast? What are you going to do about this ball? And it's a, the, they don't know. So, um... Use your skills. You are yeah. the best at baseball. Just hop over and get it. You're the best. You're fast. You just, just go get it. A very... Obi-Wan talking to Luke Skywalker, kind of. Yeah. You use the baseball force, Luke. Yeah. Use the baseball force, Benny. Use the baseball force. And then uh, he's like, you know, if you do this, you're going to be a legend and you're going to be the, the greatest and, you know, everyone will remember, remember you and yada blah. Nobody cares at this point because everybody's already checked out so benny the next day gets these uh shoes i think they call them pf flyers they're they're really just converse with the logo switched Mm -hmm. they're the exact same converse he's been wearing the entire film with a different logo slapped on them I don't know why this is a plot point. Seriously. It feels like something that got cut. It's like the kid who wants to buy Jordans thinking it'll make him a better basketball player. Here's the thing. Okay, this is more bad writing. Uh, he Smalls steals the Babe Ruth uh, ball because they don't have the 93 cents to buy a new ball. But as soon as the ball goes missing, they have 93 cents to buy a ball to fake the Babe Ruth signature to keep his mom from noticing the ball is missing. And then the very next day, they have the uh, in extreme amount of money to buy this like top of the line shoe that will make any kid the fastest kid on the planet. Uh, why didn't they just buy a new baseball? Like, where are they getting all this money for all these crazy plans? If they didn't have 93 cents to buy a baseball. 
Uh, yeah. Seriously, this movie, man, it hurts my head. So, so Benny, yeah, anyway, so he's Benny got his shoes and he's going to go hop the fence and run and get the ball. And there's this stare down between the Beast and Benny. It turns out the Beast is just the, the, the most adorable looking Mastiff puppy that they try to make look mean. Once it's not a once it's not a puppet, it's just a mastiff, and you show your boy, and I just want to go snuggle him. <laughs> His old slobber-filled face. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, bring a paper towel because that's how mastiffs are. But still, you know, snuggle. I love that during their attempt to get the ball, the dog just eats the ball, and then as soon as Benny gets over the fence he just spits it out of him like he's daring him go on kid take it see what happens it is very obvious as the movie goes on that the beast just wants to play fetchies that's the entire film is just people keep hitting balls over the fence and the dog is like oh my god somebody somebody is playing fetchies with me come over and play fetch and then nobody comes to play fetchies with the puppy and then he is very sad this whole movie is a dog that wants to play fetchies and nobody will play fetchies with him and it is the worst but then benny grabs the ball hops over the fence and the and uh, the beast is chasing him because somebody came to play fetchies. This is the greatest day in this puppy's life. <laughs> but the way this movie sets it up with the music and, and uh, you know, holy ass, I, this thing is trying to kill me. The way the, the way the cinematography is, the way the music is, this they want you to believe that this dog is going to kill Benny. So Benny is running through all through the town. It's apparently Founder's Day as it's this Founder's Day picnic. And they knock over a cake. They go through a movie theater showing the Wolfman. Which is a much better... They, they break the Mystery Science Theater rule, which is do not show a good movie in the middle of your crappy movie. Because all I wanted to do at that point was just turn on the Wolfman. And as the kids are trying to get to Benny, he's saying, go back to the sandlot, go back to the sandlot. As they try to get, he tries to get the dog to chase him back into the junkyard. Because he's going through windows, this dog's going through walls, like the freaking Kool-Aid man. They do a whole thing where, like, oh, no, we've got a big cake. Is it going to fall on some people? And, of course, it falls on some people because, haha, comedy. So, eventually, they make it back to the sandlot. Benny jumps over the fence again. The, uh, the beast jumps over the fence. But the fence falls onto the dog. This was awful, and I hated it, but Smalls immediately is like, the dog is hurt, help. And every one of these snot-nosed little kids is like, nope, we're going to let the dog die because we are the worst. Except for Benny, who is an angel. And despite the fact that he almost thought this, like, he thought this dog was trying to kill him, which, as I have said, the dog was not trying to kill him. The dog just wanted to play veggies. Uh, Benny actually gets up and helps the dog up. And the dog immediately is like, 
yay, you saved me, and just gives kisses all over Smalls' face. And then he's like, yay, Smalls and Benny came and played fetchies with me, and then they saved my life. This is the best day ever. And then he shows them his ball collection. Yeah, and they're like, here, have all the free baseballs you want. You can play baseball forever, and we can play fetchies, and you're my friends now, because all I wanted was fetchies. <laughs> Which uh, the, the commotion brings up the owner of the junkyard, James Earl Jones! Yay! James Earl Jones is finally in this movie, and the the next, like, three minutes of this are actually a decent movie. So, it turns out, uh, James Earl Jones here used to actually be a baseball player, and actually knew Babe Ruth. Calls him George. Turns out, uh, he was actually a better player than Babe Ruth, but he had to retire after getting Bean in the head, which caused him to go blind. And this is why we have batting helmets now, kids. So, he then says, this, this ball must be very special for you to uh, go through all of that trouble if they get it back. You could have just asked me. I could have gotten the ball back for you. Which they all go up, which makes all of the kids just go after Squints. Because he was the one that says they'll never get the ball back. Yeah. This whole last third of the movie would have never happened if they had just said, please, sir, we hit our ball into your yard. Can we have it back, please? Oh, 90% of this movie would not have happened if people would have just talked to each other at every point in the film. Mm -hmm. The the kids say, yeah, it's uh, my, my stepdad's Babe Ruth autographed baseball. And I, I love the line delivery that James Earl Jones says, Oh, you're not you're not in trouble. You're dead. <laughs> yeah, he was like, George signed this? Oh, you are not in trouble. You are dead where you stand. I am talking to a dead man. I am sorry, kid. But he takes a little bit of sympathy on, onto the kid and gives him his autograph ball, which not only has the unautograph of Babe Ruth. But the entire 1927 New York Yankees, including Lou Gehrig. Yeah, the murderer's row ball. Yep. Which is likely worth more than the Babe Ruth ball, since it had the entire 1927 Yankees on it. But he gives it to the kid anyway, saying, you need it more than I do because uh, you're dead. If yeah. you go home without a baseball signed by Babe Ruth, you're dead. So here, take this one. And he says, uh, since you like baseball, uh, why don't you come over once a week? We'll talk baseball and uh, we'll call it even. Which, uh, fair. I mean, he could have really, he could have really put it to the kids. Hey, you, you guys bothered my dog. I could, you know, go after you for that. So, so what Small decides to do, he gives the the Yankees the murderer's roll ball to his stepdad as he returns from his as he returns from his trip. Expl explains what happened, and he's very lucky that he was only grounded for a week instead of you know dead. <laughs> but the relationship between him and his stepfather improves. As they're, we see them playing catch again, uh, and then we get the uh, the ending narration, the wrap up here. As uh, Smalls and his family stay in the neighborhood for a few more years, moving away shortly after Smalls starts junior high. 
And this starts that the other kids in the neighborhood start moving away, too. As we start uh, getting, uh, like you mentioned before, we kind of find out what happened to these kids afterwards. Yeah, yeah, goes to military school and uh, eventually invents bungee jumping. Uh, Bertram, one of the players, ends up uh, really getting into the 60s and they never find out what happened to him. Probably became a hippie and just, um, yeah, that's all they said. They said he got into the 60s and they never heard from him again. Uh, I mean... There's a lot of more nefarious ways you you could take that. Best way is he found some substances and his bliss. Uh, bad ways is he he found the Manson family. And, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of ways you could take that. Our two brothers, Timmy and Tommy, become uh, contractors and architects and end up inventing the mini mall. As we mentioned before, Squints marries Wendy, then have a bunch of kids. We have Ham, the, the fat kid of the team who's a catcher. Be he becomes a professional wrestler as the great Hambino. Kenny, the, the other one that actually uh, liked baseball, he played in the minor leagues, but he's not as good as Benny. So he starts business and coaches Little League. Yeah. And the last person to leave, the last of the kids to move away from the old neighborhood, was Benny. His, his trifle with the Beast has earned him the nickname Benny the Jet. I wonder if anyone in that, in that neighborhood was a Elton John fan. So he ends up earning the name Benny the Jet because he outran the Beast and actually becomes a professional baseball player. The only one of the team to actually do, do so. And we get 1993 modern footage of Benny playing a game, doing the same tricks he did as a kid earlier in the movie to steal home base. And who is calling the action? Who is the commentator? Who is the analyst? But Smalls. Wearing the goofy hat he wore at the beginning of the movie. And that's where we end the movie. I want to mention how many times this film could have been derailed. If people just talk to each other. Going all the way back to if Bill had just been willing to indulge in his passion for baseball... With his stepson. If we had gone all the way back to the movie. And Smalls had gone like. Hey Bill. You want to teach me how to play catch? And he goes. Sure kid. Let's go. Oh sorry about that black eye. Hey. uh, If you don't want to keep playing catch right now. I understand. Put that stake on your eye. And uh, let's go into my trophy room. Hey, here's uh, Babe Ruth. They called him the Great Bambino. Uh, here's a baseball. My dad gave it to me. It's signed by Babe Ruth. This is worth more than your entire life, so don't touch it. There. Also, I really like the idea of you playing baseball, so uh, here's a couple of spare balls in case you ever <laughs> need one for your your uh, Sandlot game, you know? Yeah. <sighs> Plus, 
they have a ball that they're throwing around at the beginning of the film. Where's that ball? Exactly. Also, I just think that this movie is Benny's film. Even if you want to tell it from Smalls' perspective, it needs to be Benny's film. Like, maybe Benny is the one with the Babe Ruth ball, hmm. and Smalls accidentally messes up the ball, not understanding. I mean, I'm sure the guy who wrote this is Smalls. Like, I'm sure that he's that kid. I mean, the director voices the adult Smalls. So, you know, I'm sure that he probably doesn't have enough uh, imagination to put himself in Benny's frame of mind or something, Mm -hmm. you know? So I'm sure we're never going to get this story told from the perspective of any of these other kids. You know, if he's going to be like, hey, I want to tell a story about growing up, what it was like growing up in my childhood. It's always going to be from his perspective. I get it. But, I don't know, making this about the kid who knows nothing about baseball, learning about baseball, but also it's about a dog who wants to play fetchies. I, I don't know. It's just, But also it just really wants to be stand by me, but it's too... uh scared to deal with deep emotions or a dead body i think you're right on that one it doesn't have the imagination to go as far as stand by me did i think you're right on that one well stand by me is about the actual like deep emotions of childhood and that you're about to hit puberty and you're about to start that climb into adulthood but you still want to hold on to childhood but stand by me is about those really really complex emotions as you're about to leave childhood behind and you sort of see glimpses of that that the writer almost wants to step in there we start out with a kid who's like, my dad died and my mom remarried and all of a sudden I've got a stepdad who I don't understand. I am the nerdy kid who I, you know, we get the joke at the beginning where Benny says, I bet you've always made straight A's. And he goes like, well, no, I got to be once. Well, no, it's an A minus, but it really should have been a B, but they were really nice to me. You know, I've been that kid, you know, <laughs> that was me when I was younger. I made straight A's. I I, I was that kid, you know. Um, so I understand where, where Smalls is coming from at the beginning of this film. Um, but... You see where this could have been a very emotional movie. I am I am a kid about to hit puberty. My entire world has changed. 
I'm suddenly having to deal with really complex emotions of grief and change and human connection. And then suddenly the writer goes, I want to make it about a scary dog. You know, mm-hmm. it's like he stared the point of this movie in the face and then couldn't do it, couldn't follow through. And it's kind of weird because I can almost see where this could have been a good movie. And instead he was like, I want to make it about kids getting sick on a tilt a whirl and, you know, doing chewing tobacco, doing awful things to girls at a pool and, you know, saying really horrible sexist and homophobic things to other kids on a playground you know mm-hmm. and it's like and you can say like well you know this is made for young boys like what do you expect it's a young boys movie but it's like so was stand by me <laughs> like <laughs> i just keep coming back to that like these are two films that wanted to be about the exact same thing And one of them was really good because it took the hard path. And the other one, you know, tiptoed right up to that line and then got scared and ran away. I don't know. Am am I reading too much into this? I don't think so. So, uh, I mean, what did you feel watching it again as an adult versus when you saw it as a kid? uh, As a kid, it was okay. You know, hey, it's a bunch of kids playing baseball okay you know so again not really a sports guy but as a kid I, I enjoyed it. i thought it was a, a fun little movie as an adult i feel like it get takes too long to get to the point like this is a two-hour movie and really it's only the final hour that things actually start happening hence why i say once small swipes the babe ruth ball is where the real movie starts is where the real movie starts Yes, yeah, so much of this movie is just pointless. You could sum up the first half, uh, uh, you know, the first hour of this movie as that beginning narration of they played the game every day, but they never kept score, and everybody kind of swapped uh, positions a lot. I mean... There are times where this movie could have gone somewhere, like uh, the part where they're actually taking on the Little League team. Boy, that is a scene that comes out of nowhere and leaves just as fast and has no point. We didn't even discuss that. That's why. I mean, it's a nice scene, but it doesn't add anything to the movie other than they beat uh, actual Little League team. Their little... That could have been a movie in itself. A team shows up and they go, hey, we challenge you to a game. And they're like, yeah, we bet you throw like girls. And then they beat the Little League team and the Little League team leaves. And that's it. Where did that team come from? Why were they there? Why did they challenge them? Where did they go to? What was the point of that? No one knows. If there are Little League teams for them to be on, why are none of these kids on a Little League team? Benny seems to do nothing but eat, sleep, and breathe 
baseball. Why is he not on a Little League team? You would assume that these kids are playing in a sandlot with home equipment because there is no Little League team. Wouldn't you? Yeah. They're poor, poor kids with no Little League team. That's what I would assume. But apparently that's not true. So why aren't they on a team? It brings up more questions than it answers. Yeah, so I guess... Do we have to... Do we need to answer the question? No magic! I hate saying it, but yeah, this one doesn't have them. This one, outside of the You're Killing Me Smalls meme, and maybe the last half of this movie... The last half of this movie is at least interesting, but much like I said about other movies, it's not enough to counteract the boring first half. There is a doggy and he wants to play fetchies. Go play fetchies with him. This movie had sequels. There are two direct-to-video sequels. Both of them are on Disney+. Plus. The Sandlot 2, uh, bringing back James Will Jones and with the original... Uh, with Evans returning as writer and director. There, uh, a third film, direct-to-video, The Sandlot Heading Home, starring Luke Perry. Uh, as of 2018, a prequel movie was announced. I don't know what you could really do as a prequel to this. Unless it's like the kids before this run and like, 52, maybe? Or kids that were kids when Babe Ruth was playing? And yeah, it, I don't know. And Disney, um, Disney in 2019 announced that they were bringing back the original cast to do a Sandlot show for Disney+. Plus. I don't know what more you could do with this franchise that would warrant something new. Like, could have is anyone really hammering for a sandlot prequel? Is anyone really begging for a sandlot Disney Plus TV show? I don't know how they got two sequels out of it. Because I'm I'm looking at this movie and I'm like, there wasn't enough plot for one movie. Of the movie I watched, there was enough plot for half of a movie. As we've just discussed. Maybe less than half of a movie, honestly. How did you get two sequels out of this? I don't know, because I didn't like this movie enough, even as a kid, to ever watch the sequels. Um, how do you get a TV show out of this? Uh, apparently the sequels I've heard uh, remember that girls exist as things other than... Uh, peep, uh, you know, objects to harass. The sequel takes place good. ten. Yeah, the sequel takes place ten years after the first movie, which brings girls onto a new team of new kids. I mean, the whole point of the Sandlot was that they weren't a team; they were just kids who hung out and sort of half played baseball. And I guess now there's a girl in the neighborhood, and they're putting bringing her. To play with them. I mean, hopefully they don't bully her like they did Smalls. I don't. I don't think we'll be doing Sandlot two anytime soon. No, no. I think I'm putting a moratorium on any future Sandlot discussion. 
Um, this was painful. I mean, honestly, it was. Um, just, just know that you you may have. I think both of us realize that any kind of nostalgia we felt for this is probably misplaced. Probably. There are things you watch when you're a kid, and I think we've discovered that a few times doing this show. There are things you watch when you're a kid, and when you're a kid, you watch it and you go, well, it wasn't the worst thing I've seen. Because when you're a kid, you don't really think critically in any sort of way. and I critically as in you're trying to find fault also it was the age before streaming so we were watching it because it was on tv yeah there was a time you know that uh maybe any younger listeners who might be listening do, definitely do not remember when there were a limited number of channels and unless you had something at home on vhs you didn't get to choose what was on. You know? Mm -hmm. So you flipped around trying to find something that was on and you picked the least objectionable thing. So sometimes this was the least objectionable thing and you left it on in the background for noise. I really like the soundtrack in the movie, though. Yeah, the songs they used were okay. But it's it's not enough to make it a, a good or enjoyable movie for either of us, I think. Unfortunately, no. I feel bad saying that. But yeah, this movie doesn't really hold up as well as some might think. At least to what? At least to me. I cannot speak for anyone else. They speak for me. Yeah, it, same here. I mean, if you like this movie, do you get enjoyment out of it? We're, we're not here. But I, honestly, I remembered this as a better written movie with a more coherent story. And when I watched it as an adult, I went, oh, wow, this barely holds together as a plot. And I think that was the most shocking thing to me. Yeah, so I guess the verdict is no magic. Yeah, I kind of, you know, maybe they can find an angle that will turn this into something worth watching, but I hold out zero hope for this franchise. Not every franchise needs to be rebooted. Yeah. So let's uh let's let's move on. Let's talk about happier things. Next week's film, The Great Mouse Detective. Oh, we can talk about that. Sherlock Holmes is a mouse. I like Sherlock Holmes. I like Mousies. We're back to animated again. Yeah. We took a break. Of, we took about a month-long break of animation. Time to well, get back. Well, except in. for, you know, little bits of... Bedknobs and broomsticks. Yeah, right? little bits of bedknobs and broomsticks. But uh, we're, we're back to animation. So, yeah, come back next week for The Great Mouse Detective. And we will talk to you all then. Bye. Bye! Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week 
at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.